Amen. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. How many of you can say that this morning? There to my heart the blood was applied. Wow. If you can't say that this morning right now, we would love for you to be able to say it before you leave here. And because of that, because of that blood that was shed that, that covers you, you get to do a thing called communion. Amen? And as often as you do it, you're going to remember him and his death. Let's open up and get started because I only got about 35 minutes, I was told. And so uh, they've been giving me 45 and I haven't been able to do that. So they thought they'd lower the number a little bit and see if that helped. I think they're just hoping I'll get done in 45, so they're telling me 35. That's okay, though. You know what we're going to do? We're going to preach the word, and however long it takes, that's how long it takes. Join me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through 34, as we continue to do the series that we titled Called Out. We've been called out by God. The church was called out because it wasn't acting right. And so we've been called out by him, separated out for him. And um, what a glory that is. What a glory that is. Verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear the divisions ex exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. And I would say a hearty amen to Paul. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, and I don't like the translation that he broke it and said, I think you should just say, this is my body. Took the bread, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And oh, you don't want to be in this category. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Since the beginning of the church, it was customary for the believers to eat together. It was a pretty common practice. And since the beginning of Valley Bible Church, I've been here for almost every one of the meetings. Getting together and eating before or after, generally after a service, we would go eat somewhere. I remember back in the day when Valley was at Holy Ghost Hall on Sunday nights. Yeah, that was a different, a different uh, dispensation. We actually had service every Sunday night. Are you guys awake out there? That's a humorous statement I just made, and not one of you even smiled. So we used to do that, though. We would go every Sunday night. We couldn't get enough of each other's fellowship. And we would go out afterward. We used to go over to El Cerrito to the Copper Penny, and we would shut the place down. And in Acts 2, 42 and 46, let's see if I can read that to you I can't do a lot of Bible gymnastics because I'm not going to have time but here's what he says there they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day and those who were being saved. They called it when they came together like this. They called this meal the love feast. Sounds like something out of the 60s to me. But it was the love feast, and that word love was the agape love, the coming together to be with one another. Its emphasis shows love for the saints by sharing with one another. And that's what they were doing in Acts. I'm not asking you to go and sell your house and give it to other people. We're not literalists in that way. But when you look at it, you're saying, hey, they came together that they might fellowship one another, and they didn't want someone to be excluded. This is why they were selling their possessions, because some couldn't come. They didn't have the wherewith to be there. So they would sell their possessions so everyone could come together and be together. If you notice in the reading that we did earlier of the scripture, you see the first section that we're going to cover. But here's, here's the problem they were having. It was an opportunity for fellowship and for sharing with them and those who were less privileged. And so they had this 
agape feast or love feast and they would culminate that they would they would end that feast by taking the lord's supper but there arose a problem and that's what we're going to talk about you know we use the middle section of that scripture that 23 through 26 um, when we do communion we do it almost every time we utilize that passage because it's a great thing how many of you are aware that paul wrote that before the gospels were ever written did you know that yeah the gospels when he said that the lord came to me and told i received from the lord the lord instituted this and i received it from him that we should break bread together and the gospels had not been written yet when he wrote this that's interesting yeah you can tell by the looks on your face that none of you knew that um, but that's important to know but here's here's the problem so what's what's going to happen here we're going to cover it this way we're going to see that there's selfishness happening at the lord's table when they come together and have their feast some were eating a lot and some were getting any some were drinking a lot and some were getting any so let's take a look at it issues I, I would say verse 17 the opening statement is a ad, ad, I call it a rebuke I'm going to say he's admonishing them to be a little kinder but I think he's just flat out rebuking them so he says but in giving this instruction I do not praise you earlier in this chapter in verse 2 I think it was he's giving them praise for following the teachings and stuff now he's saying i give you no praise in this area because you come together and there's if you look at this passage there's three or four they come together you're coming together you're coming together you're coming together but when you come together it's not for the better you're not coming together for the better you're coming together for the worse So Paul's rebuke, as it pertained to the Corinthians, focused on how their meetings or public worship gatherings did more harm than good. You're coming together, you're having this so-called love feast, and you're not doing it properly so to the effect that it's not showing out well. It's not turning out well. That's why I called it the Lord's Supper inside out. They got it inside out. And when you get things, if you were wearing your clothing right now, inside out, that would be improperly using your clothing. And so, I know it's kind of a tricky little thing I came up with that inside out. I liked it personally. I'm like, that kind of works. Because they're doing the Lord's Supper inside out. They're coming together and they're making the Lord's Supper at the end of a love, so-called love feast. And they're coming to the end of the Lord's Supper and they're not making it about the Lord at all. They're not even making it about their fellow brother. They're making it about themselves. The Lord's Supper is not about you individually. It's when we come together and we break bread and we drink that juice it's because we're remembering 
Christ. And so, if who doesn't want to go to a feast and, and glutton yourself? Hey, there's free prime rib being served today. How many of you are going to show up for that? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you won't raise your hand because you'd be embarrassed. But I know that I'd show up and I'd want seconds and thirds probably. So that's kind of the issue that we have going on here. It's, he's rebuking and he's saying, um, what kinds of things would cause you to do that? Why are you doing that? You're coming together, and we see in 18, we get to verse 18, and here's what's going on. For in the first place, now this is very interesting. I read through this whole thing, like multiple times. And I don't know about you, but if, if I tell you I'm going to cover three things, if I tell you that from the pulpit, I'm going to cover three things today, and, and then I only give you one of them, some of you are going to come to me and say, what were the other two things you were going to cover? Right? And some of you are going to say, why did you tell us three things when you're only going to cover one? And I, I get that. But Paul says, it's very interesting, he says, but in giving the instruction, I'm just going to keep reading it this way, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse. For, this is why it's worst. He's about to tell you why it's worse that you're coming together the way you're doing it. Okay? So listen, for in the first place, now, I can say, I read through this a bunch of times, there's never going to be a second or third place he's going to mention. But he does say in 34, I'll cover the rest of it when I get there. So he doesn't forget it, but he says, we'll do it later. The letter started getting a little long, kind of like my sermon. I planned on this being about five pages long, it ended up being ten. And you all groan right now. Oh, ten pages, but Larry, oh my goodness. When you come together, as a church, when you come together, when the body comes together and unites. Remember now, that in, in this time in Corinth, they probably had little small, small groups, I'd call them. They had all these little small groups that were meeting. Because they met in house churches. But every now and then, once a week or so, they would all come together. They'd have this love feast, and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. So, but when you come together, I hear, this is Paul, so there's a report that he has. Remember, Chloe, I think, was reporting to him what was going on in Corinth. And he says, I hear that divisions exist among you. Well, now, isn't that interesting? Because the whole first four chapters that we preached already to you talk about divisions. Divisions of, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow whoever. That was dividing them. Now, he's already dealt with that. We're moving on, you would think. Now he says, I'm hearing that you got divisions exist among you. So I think he's being very, very specific right here. It's not just there's these broad divisions. No, no, no. There's divisions when you come to take the Lord's Supper. You're divided. People, you can't take the Lord's Supper today if you're divided. Not without judgment coming on you. Now look, I love what Paul does here. 
And in part, I believe it. You ever hear something about somebody, a friend of yours, that's not good? Do you just believe it all the way? Like, well, it's 100% true. Somebody said it. No, you say, in part, I'm going to believe that because I believe it could happen, but I'm going to talk to the person first. I'm going to go to the person that this is being said about first and talk to them. Now, in the church, if somebody were to come to you and say, did you hear this about such and such? Did you hear Pastor Larry has been beating Lynn, his wife? If you heard that, it's wrong. Probably be opposite. She's beating on me probably more than me beating on her. And I deserve the beatings, though. That's the difference. But it's interesting. He's saying, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt right now. The benefit of the doubt says, okay, I, we already know there's been all kinds of divisions. But now this is like he's holding up the mirror to them. Like, okay, wait a minute. You've been seeing from back here that there's divisions. And, and we've, we've dealt with a lot of that. Now, let's get a close-up look and a specific instance of that going on. Now, so, and in part, I believe it. And then he goes to verse 19. Like, this is not a fun letter to get. It really isn't. It was necessary, but it couldn't have been fun. Now listen to this. So then he goes to 19 and he says, For there must also be factions amongst you. Factions amongst you. Hmm. And then he adds this very interesting statement. So that those who are approved may become evident among you. You see, divisions are not good. Divisions are destructive. They destroy. Factions, on the other hand, are intended to reveal things. And if factions, a false faction, an opinion basically is what a faction is. You see it this way, I see it that way. You see it this way, I see it that way. That's kind of, and if that gets going, if that gets going, that faction becomes something that becomes very destructive. But listen, if you have a difference of opinion with me, and we talk through, that's called a faction. If you have a difference, and we talk through that and come to an agreement, now that faction dies. It gets dealt with. So a faction or an opinion that's different than, let's say you have a difference of an opinion than what the leadership says. You think we should be doing something that leadership at the church says that's not our direction. You think every service should be nothing but evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. And we're going to tell you that's not why we meet. It's one of the reasons we meet, but it's not the whole reason that we meet. We come together to edify. We come together to equip. We come together to encourage. We come to do a lot of things, and evangelism is one of those. But it's not the only thing. So you would have a difference of an opinion if you thought the only reason we come together is evangelism. Or the only reason we come together is to sing worship songs. It's one of the reasons we come together. It's our opportunity to worship together. Amen? Amen. But it's not the only reason we come together. That's a, you might say, well, but I think it's, that's all we should do. You guys should quit preaching. We'll just do more songs. I'd feel so much better if we just did songs. Okay. But here's the deal. Factions in a church, in a church, 
If they go undealt with, they'll be destructive. They'll cause a division. But if they're dealt with properly, they're very necessary. I'm looking at a woman right now in Jolie. Right now, I'm looking at Jolie. You know what I can be sure of with Jolie? I can be 100% sure that she's going to defend every missionary that we have. 1,000% sure of that. Is that the only thing I have to do as an executive pastor? No, but it's a super important one. So if she comes to me and says, Larry, our missionaries in Israel, we need to take a special offering for them. Because of everything that's going on over there, we need to take a special offering for them. And I, and I say, no, nah, I don't think we should do that. Well, now we got a little difference of opinion. If she starts going out here and telling all of you, let's get to pastor and tell them we got to get that, op- that special offering. Look, I'm not opposed to a special offering for Israel either, by the way. It's just an example. And we never get that dealt with, then that becomes dividing. Now it becomes a problem. Divisions are a problem, and actually a faction is not as much of a problem. It's actually a thing that God is a negative thing or could be that God uses to do positive things okay how so look there must also be factions amongst you why why they're necessary the Greek word used for faction is a word it's D-E-I in in our language D I think it is I don't even know how to spell how to pronounce it it literally represents divine necessity Factions are a divine necessity. Jesus used the term on numerous occasions in relation to certain scripturally predicted and divinely appointed events, including the crucifixion and his resurrection. He used this word. Because didn't the disciple, when he said, I'm going to die by way of the cross, I'm going to be crucified, didn't they argue with him? Didn't the, didn't the disciples go, No, come on, that's not going to happen. You got a kingdom you got to establish. But they're necessary. Why? Listen, so you can get approval. Differences of opinion. So that those who are approved, approved by who? By God at first, but also by the people in leadership. We're going to approve certain, you know, there's people right now that we're looking at, that I'm looking at going, I think that individual needs to be leading a Bible study. They need to be leading a Bible study. So, It becomes evident. They're they're getting approval through God. I'm watching them. I'm going, we need to approve them as a Bible study leader because they're actually following after Christ. They're doing the things. They're they're ministering to people without that. But we need to get them involved. So factions. So it comes as so that the worldliness and fleshly disobedience, listen to this. This is what happens. Worldliness and fleshly disobedience of those causing the divisions would be exposed. The ones that bring the factions, if it's worldly or fleshly or it's a sinful thing, it gets exposed during a faction. That's why it's necessary. So he says, it gets exposed. And then it also exposes and highlights love, harmony, and spirituality of of those who are approved. It starts with a faction. It starts with an opinion. How many of you were involved 20 years ago when I was asked to be an elder at Valley Bible? How many of you were in the room when they asked me that? 
None of you. But there was an opinion that I qualified to be an elder. Some of you might have argued with that. And you were given the right to do so. The way Valley does that, we put an elder in front of you. We give you a couple weeks to write something about them if you see there's a problem. Thank God none of you did that. Some of you weren't here, thank goodness. So, so you have that thing. But factions are a necessary thing. So when you see that, but now remember what I said, unchecked, they can become problematic. They become dividing. But if they're dealt with and you get the answers and you discuss it and you figure it out. Now look, sometimes leadership goes away that you don't like and you discuss it with us and we say, great that you have your opinion. We're not going to change. We feel God is leading us in this direction. What is your responsibility at that point? Your responsibility at that point is to do kind of what Pastor Todd spoke about last week. Submit to the authority. Hebrews 13, 17. Submit and obey to those who have been put in authority over you. I love that passage. And I loved that passage long before I became a pastor or an elder. Because I love the second part of the passage. Submit and obey those that have been put in authority over you because they will have to give an account of how they treated you. Hmm. And why would you make their job not joyful by being a problem, by creating factions and divisions? Why would you do that? You know, one of my least favorite things to do is write a discipline letter because somebody won't stop sinning. I hate it. And I know some of you think I like conflict because it seems like I'm constantly dealing with conflict. I don't like it, but I think it's necessary. I think factions are sort of conflicts and you got to deal with them. And the term approved so that those who are approved may become evident among you. That term approved, that actually means, refers to something that has passed a test. The term was used of testing precious metals tried in fire you go in the fire with gold and what happens the dross comes to the top and separates off from the gold hmm. in effect evil helps manifest gold or good sometimes an evil thought a faction actually helps us figure out who the right person is in that particular instance Who's the person walking according to the Spirit? Who's the person that's caring about other people? Amen? That's how you find this stuff out sometimes. We hope you're all walking that way. I hope I'm walking that way. Trouble in the church creates a situation in which true spiritual strength, wisdom, and leadership can be manifested. If every time trouble came, the leadership that's in place now didn't know how to deal with it, pretty soon you'd say, well, I'm not following those bozos. And I would be right there with you. I'd say, you don't need to follow us. We can't figure out how to deal with this conflict. 
I think the way we deal with it is scripturally. Man, you guys are quiet. I bet you during the football games this afternoon, you won't be quite this quiet. So then what happens, and I got a long ways to go, so I got to hustle. Look at this, therefore, in verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. That's not why you're coming together. You're coming together because you're making it a party. You're eating like a bunch of pigs. You're drinking to the point you get drunk. And look, look, here's the problem. Here it is. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. You imagine if we have a potluck across the way, a fifth Sunday celebration, we all get together and someone's made up some just delicious looking fried chicken. And I didn't bring any food that day because my wife broke her ankle or something like that. And I'm like, man, can I get a piece of that chicken? I'm starving. And they're like, oh, no, 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 we're going to eat this first. We got here early so we could eat right in front of you. Hmm. That's kind of what was going on. Because let's read on. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another, and one is hungry. Wait, you take your own food, you're eating, and you're leaving someone else there who maybe doesn't have the money to buy food. You know, this was a poor system. Food was not that common. It was hard to get. We're in America where you can just go to Taco Bell and grab whatever you want. Anytime you want, almost. But in this situation, there were poor people that couldn't afford it. This might be the only meal, true meal, they get all week is when they come together. And now, you're not even doing that right. It's causing divisions. And what is the outside world saying about you when they see this? What is Christ saying about you when he sees this? Well, we're going to show you what he says. We're going to show you the result of this behavior. So in effect, Paul is saying, you may have the bread and you may have the little cup and the little wine that we got them all right here. You might have the little wafer and all that. You might say a few words that Jesus said. uh, But what you're doing is not of the Lord. It's not of the Lord. You're mistreating the poor. Where's that passage that says you get to do that? Anybody got a passage for that? Uh Uh-uh. And you know what this is really? You know what the Lord's Supper is? It's, It's your opportunity to worship. It is. We do communion. You get to worship Christ and God and thank Him for what He's done on a cross for you and you remember Him in His death. That's worship. You're giving it back to him. You're not taking anything. You're giving it. That's what you do. And so, is this the kind of worship that edifies the body when you let people be hungry and you're getting drunk? Does that edify the body? Talk to me. Does it edify the body to do that? No, it doesn't. It's the opposite. 
And so what's happening is what Paul is warning him for in you eating and doing this, and then what? Do you have not have houses in which to eat and drink? You that have the money and the influence, don't come here and eat in front of people that can't afford it. I heard a story of a man in, I, I think Kim Smith told me this story about a guy in Liberia who came there, and they don't have food, people. If you go to Liberia, one thing you'll notice is missing domestic animals. Domestic animals don't do well in Liberia because they kill them and eat them because they have no food. So he's got a visitor that comes from the United States, comes to church, comes to a meeting, and there's all these starving people who may get one meal a day, maybe a, a small handful of rice. And you got this guy from America who has no sensitivity to the fact these people don't have anything. And he pulls out his protein bars and starts eating it. That's what's going on here. Now, see, I had to use that illustration because you have no idea what that would be like. I know of a lady who's, who, um, I better not say that one. That'll get me in trouble. Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? If you can't share with people when you come together, at least eat at home. Eat at home. And, and the reason is, is then you don't face judgment. You're going to see that in a minute, if I can get there. Or do you despise the church of God? Like, I don't care. I'm going to eat right in front of everybody. I despise. Who cares? No one's going to tell me I can't eat in front of people and drink as much as I want to. Oh, oh, oh okay. You go ahead and do that. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Back to, uh, should I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. So I'm going to remind you of a couple things. I know that food is not really much of an issue for people in this congregation right now. Remember, when we come together to worship, we're trying to edify each other, trying to encourage you, trying to work with you on things. Look, I think these are the things today. And, and I'm going to say this. At the end of this, verse 22, Paul could have said, oh, by the way, I'm going to write a book to the Philippian people. And in it, I'm going to put a thing about how Christ did not come for himself, but he came for you so that it might just embarrass you into putting others first instead of yourself worship that's only for you and doesn't include others is not edifying it's not edifying and you need to worship for yourself but you need to collectively worship too but look i i, I thought of some things that might be dividing us today because one of the things that's really dividing them here doesn't say it but money money's dividing them some had plenty of money and they could eat until they couldn't eat anymore and they could drink until they were drunk others couldn't afford that they just couldn't do it but we're gonna oh, guess what we're gonna come together and we're gonna be one body doesn't that sound nice and i can't share my food with you let me read a passage to you i shouldn't because i probably don't have time but you know what here we go if i can find that book i know it's in my bible 
There we go. Look, look at this. I've been reading through 1 John every day for about the last seven days. And this just, when I was doing this, it just popped out at me. We know love by this. Because wait a minute, what's the greatest commandment? Love one another. Love the Lord God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind and love one another like you love yourself. That's the commandment. Look at this. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wait a minute, what? I like that part where he laid his life down for me. Don't you? That's chapter 3, verse 16, guys and gals. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And oh, what a gift of love that was. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, my goodness. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. An illustration of love, love's not just a feeling. Love's an action word. If it's not an action word in your dictionary, you need to change it. Because it takes action. Now, I'm not saying there's no feeling in it. Because there is feeling in it. But it's definitely action. You prove you love me by action. Not by just, oh, pastor, we love you. Really? When's the last time you had me at your house to eat? I'm not starving, by the way. Thank God. I have a gracious and kind Heavenly Father that takes care of me. And through these people in this room and your uh, bountiful offerings and blessings, I have funds in which to purchase food. So thank you very much, church. Put others before yourself. Money is a problem. What's some other things that divide us? How about politics? Oh, how about, I'm going to go back a little ways. How about those that thought we were stupid to wear masks and then the others that thought we were stupid not to wear masks? What about people that are still wearing them? How do you look at them? With love, I hope, and concern and care. What about, uh, what about ethnicity? I won't call it race because there's only one race, people. You got that, right? There's only one race. There's the human race. After that, there's an animal world, and that's about as close as it gets to the human race after that. But there's a lot of ethnicity. Um, do you avoid people because they're not the same color as you? I certainly hope not. You'd be a sinner if you did. And you shouldn't be taking the Lord's Supper if you're doing that. What about music? Could that divide us? Huh. Talk to Rebecca or Bobby before that. Call up Deborah in Virginia and ask her. Can music divide us? Of course it can. Well, I don't like that song. Well, sing it anyway. It's the truth. And I had my own that I don't like. Or care for less. But when the words line up with Scripture, I'm going to sing them. What about culturally? 
What about culturally? Any cultural differences? In this room, you think you got any cultural differences? Oh, yes, we do. Tons of them. I, I've been to dinner in some of you guys' homes where you uh, made a Thanksgiving dinner. And guess what? I never knew macaroni and cheese was a thing at Thanksgiving. I found out you can't have Thanksgiving without macaroni and cheese. That's a different culture. Do I hold that against you or do I embrace it? I embrace it. I love your cultures. I like mine too, but I love those different cultures. I love the different ethnicities. One of the things I love about Valley Bible Church, yeah, yeah. One of the things I love about our church is look around. You ain't going to see everybody look like you. Thank God. I think this church could use a few people that look more like me. But no, I'm just teasing. So the central focus of all this is the Lord's Supper. All right, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump past the central focus for a minute and, and tell you this. Take great care. Look at, verse, look, at, look at verses 27 through 34. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in the, of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's talking, he's, now he's relating. Here's the problem. Here's the issue. We just went through that issue. Now he's going to come over here and go, if you take it in an unworthy manner, he doesn't give us any other definition of what an unworthy manner is. He doesn't. So I'm believing he's pointing back to that being the problem. You're coming together and you're not taking the Lord's Supper in a proper way, in an unworthy manner. You don't care about your brother and your sister. All you care about is yourself. You don't care about, the, that you don't care about what it is you're doing. Do you understand the, the sacredness of what you do when you take communion? This is where I warn you time and time again. Don't take it by rote. Oh, here comes the cup and the juice. Oh, man, I can't believe we're doing communion today. That's going to take longer. They're going to want to sing a couple extra songs about the blood. Oh. And you're right. We will sing about the blood because it's the difference. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Shall It's sin. You're sinning if you take, you're, you're guilty of the body and the blood of Christ if you don't take this in the right way. You're, you know what you're saying? If you don't take this, if you take communion this morning and you got sin against a brother in this room or you're holding something against a brother in this room, listen, you got to get your life straightened out. You've got to get your life straightened out. You've got to confess your own sins. The things you've done against God, you confess those. But if you've done things against people in this room and you come and take communion, that's an unworthy manner in my opinion. If you've got things in your life that you know you're choosing sin over God and you take communion, you're taking it in an unworthy manner. Boy, it gets quiet in here when we start talking about sin. So you can't do that. If you do, what you said is, it doesn't matter that you died. I don't really care. I'm going to do my sin anyway. And that guy did me wrong and I'm not straightening it out. I just heard about a family that's in turmoil right now. They can't seem to get along. They all claim to be Christians. And they, they, you know what they've done? They just excluded each other out of, their, out of each other's lives. I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. I'm going to withhold the grandkids from you. I'm going to withhold your nieces and nephews from you. 
we refuse to meet with you and eat. Are you kidding me? Christ died for you not to act that way. And you know what? If they were here this morning, they'd take communion. What are the results in not taking it properly? Listen, but a man must examine himself. You have to examine. It's not up to me to examine you. You got to examine yourself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So after you've examined yourself, now you can tell, am I, am I okay to take it? Right? You see, sometimes we do things and we don't, we don't do anything about it. We know we got this little problem and we just don't do it. Ah, it's, it's okay, nobody knows about that. Ah, anybody got those kind of things going on in your life? Well, of course you do, everybody does. Well, you know, she said that thing to me and I'm just not going to talk to her anymore. I'm not going to approach her and say you said something that offended me because that might be biblical. I'm not going to do that. You know, I mean, we might get it straightened out if I did that. Yeah, you might actually find out that this Christian life is a lot of fun and people that irritate them, you know what out of you are the people that are going, we're going to heaven. Well, you guess what? If I irritate you now, I'm going to irritate you for eternity. I can't wait. Yeah. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself he does, if he does not judge the body correctly. Not, and that's not even your own body. That's the body of Christ that you're not judging properly. That's an interesting thought. I got problems with half the body. And I'm just going to go ahead and have the Lord's Supper as though I have no problem with the body. Well, you aren't looking, you're not judging right. That's going to create a lot of problems for you. What kind of problems? Well, let's take a look. For this reason, for this reason, for what reason? For not judging correctly. For not being concerned for my brothers and sisters. For not feeding the poor. Like me eating a big old meal in front of somebody that can't afford to eat. And, and this is brothers we're talking about. This is brethren. This is a fellow Christian. This isn't some guy trying to con you out of your paycheck so he can go spend it on drugs. This is a brother that you know can't afford to eat and you're going to sit down in front of him and eat a big meal and you're going to drink all the communion wine and get drunk. For this reason, many among you are weak. And sick. And a number sleep. Now, I'm going to tell you what. I don't like any of those three. How about you? You want to live with one of those? You can't live with the last one because you're going to die in that one. That falling asleep doesn't mean you're sleeping during the sermon while I'm preaching. This is a different sleep. This is death. Okay. So, I don't like any of these. I'm hoping you don't like any of this. Do you like being weak? You like being a weak Christian? Has no victory, no strength in your life? No. You're supposed to have victory in your life, not weakness. And what about being sick? How many of you enjoy just being sick all the time? Yeah, I noticed nobody raised their hand on that. Now, another, here we go with another contrast, though. But, but, 
Big word, it's a little three-letter word, but it changes things. We're about to do a 180-degree flip here when we see that. But if we judged ourselves correctly, rightly, we would not have to be judged. If you examine yourself, and I would say do this, and when you go to examine yourself, don't examine yourself all by yourself. Examine yourself before the Lord. And guess what, guys? You might, wanna, you might even want to include your wife in that examination. Honey, have I been loving you properly? I think I've been. Where am I, where am I, where am I messing up at? Show me. You notice I didn't even say that about the, the we don't, listen. Your wife ain't going to come to you and say, where have I been messing up with you? As far as love is concerned. Because you know why? Because they just love. They just do. Most, most women I know, they just love. I don't see anywhere in Scripture. Matter of fact, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says that a woman, is, a, a wife is commanded to love the husband. You ever notice that? You ever look at the Scriptures? Hey, you ever look at the Scriptures? But I see several places where it says, husbands, love your wives. I don't ever see where it says, wives, love your husband. Isn't that weird? You ever think about that? I think about some weird stuff sometimes when I read the Bible. That's one of them. I'm like, you know why? I don't think she needs to be reminded to love you. Men are so stupid, we've got to be reminded. You know why? We'll get busy in our job, and we'll get busy doing things. We're busy watching the ball game. She's over here saying, I need your help. I need your help with the kids. I need this. I need that. Like, I'm busy over here doing my thing. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my thing. Are you loving her? No, you're not loving her if you're ignoring her. That's not love. So if we would judge ourselves rightly, correctly, not, this is not judging yourself correctly. Well, I'm, I'm better than that guy. You can always find somebody that you're better than. But you know what? In your heart, you're just as bad as anybody when you do that. So it's judge yourself correctly. Take a real good look. You know how you do that? You get up close. When I stand back and look in a mirror, like back here, and the mirror's at the door, I look pretty good in that mirror. When I get up close to it, like up close, like this, I see a lot of lines I don't like anymore. You just get a clearer picture the closer you get. And this is what happens when you get close to Christ, you get a clearer picture. Like these, these areas right here, judging yourself rightly, it, it just, it makes so much sense. And how do you judge yourself rightly? Get closer to Christ. He'll, he'll help judge what your life looked like. Because who are you trying to be like? Christ. That's the one you're following. That's who you're trying to be like. Oh my goodness, is that late already? Okay. All right, sorry. Here we go. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now this being judged, when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. So when he looks down and sees that your actions are not good, he starts to discipline. How does he discipline? You're weak. You're sick. Some of you have fallen asleep. Why would he make you fall asleep? Why is God judging you? 
This is his chastening ministry that he has. When you're a father or a mother and your child does something that you know is not right, you're supposed to chasten them, discipline them. They have things called timeouts now. I don't even know what that means. I used to just get a beating. Now, my mom and dad would say it wasn't beat, but, you know, I would get a spanking. So we are disciplined by the Lord. Listen to this. You've got you to look at words sometimes. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. How so? You're weak. You're asleep. You may die. Why? You see the word, so that? So that we will not be condemned along with the world. If you miss that, you think, I can lose my salvation right here. I can be condemned like the world. How is that possible? No, no. I've got some disciplining that I'll do ahead of that. Otherwise, otherwise, if he didn't discipline, what's it say? If he doesn't discipline you, you're not one of his. The father that loves his child disciplines him. So if you tell me I love my child too much to discipline him, you're a liar. I'm sorry. That just goes against everything scriptural. If you figure out another way without disciplining them, I hope your child doesn't end up somewhere where you don't, you don't want to go visit them even. But, so he disciplines you so that he won't have to condemn you. And then, so then my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I give you a solution to make sure you don't fall in this category. So he says, he's identified the problem. Here's the problem. Here's, here's what you're supposed to be doing, because I get that from the Lord. The Lord gave me this information. So the choir's coming because they want me to shut up. That's never happened. Rebecca, we'll talk later. All right, so can I get the guys to come and we'll do the elements here? Listen. Central focus of all of this, the thing that's in the middle of all of it is the Lord's Supper, right? And so I want to say this. In verse 23, for I received from the Lord. It's instituted by Jesus. The Lord's Supper is instituted by him. He, no one else said, do this in remembrance of the Lord. No, Jesus said that. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Take the bread, which represents my body. It means I had a body. And it reminds you that he was fully human and that he died on a cross. And then he says, the cup, which is the new covenant. You know, before they had to slaughter animals all the time to get remission of sins. And Christ comes along and says, my blood, my blood, you'll never have to have another sacrifice like that. I am the sacrifice and I'll be the high priest. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. People, I would recommend to you, as strongly as I can, that on the fourth Sunday of every month, we do communion. I would ask you to take a look at this passage before you come that day and be prepared 
so that you won't eat and drink judgment on yourself. Because I think the passage is still active today. I don't think it was just for Corinthians. If it was, I don't think it would be in this book of ours. So this morning, as you take a look at the little cup and the wafer, remember Christ. Remember what he did on the cross for you. And, And please, if you don't take it in a worthy manner, not only are you going to be judged and be disciplined, You're actually asking him to discipline you if you take it in a wrong manner. But you're cheapening the whole thing. You're just making it cheap. There's nothing cheap about what we're remembering today. And now, you get to kind of look back a little bit and say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and taking on a body and being willing to go to a cross on my behalf, on your behalf, and on behalf of millions of other people. And his blood was shed there. He had to die. He had to be buried. And he's resurrected, and he's alive today, people. He's in the room. Did you know he's in the room when we do this? All that you would remember what he did for you on a cross this morning. And all that we would Take it in a worthy manner. Take it in a worthy manner. And listen, if you had to let it pass by today, don't ever come back without getting it straightened up. You got two more weeks and we're going to do this again. Not this sermon, but we're going to do this communion again. All that you would be in a right place with the Lord and with the church where you can take it in a proper way. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us. Oh, how good were you? Well, your goodness is running after me. Every day you run after me. And how good were you? Oh, you provided Christ as a propitiation. The only thing that would satisfy your price. The only one that could pay the price was your son. And he had to die on a cross for us. In my place, he died on a cross for me to do what I could not have done for my... My life wouldn't have done anything. Me on a cross, I would have died and gone to hell. wouldn't have mattered. But oh, the Son of God died for you this morning. Remember him this morning as you partake.